0: Well, again, good morning. Welcome to Grumlaw. We really are so glad that, that all of you are here today. Uh, I, I promise I really do mean that. Every single week when I have the opportunity to step on this stage and in, in some way, I kind of look out and I'm like, I have to hide my excitement and my joy a little bit because I'm just like so fired up that all of you decided to show up again. So we're so glad again that you're here, particularly if this is your first time with us this morning. Uh, we really understand that that walking into a new place can feel a little bit intimidating, maybe even downright scary for you. So we don't take that for granted. Honestly, thank you for making Grumlaw a part of of your week. You're also catching us at a really, really great time because, as we just mentioned, today we are kicking off a brand new series that I've really been looking forward to called What would it take? And, and rather than waiting till the end of the service or waiting till the end of the message to kind of tell you what, what this series is all about, I'm gonna kind of spoil it all and just tell you the premise for the entire series right here on the front end. It really all centers on just one question and that question is what would it take for your brother to convince you that he was the son of God? Like, really think about that. What would it take for your brother to convince you that he was the son of God? Now, maybe you don't have a brother, but you have a sister. Okay, same question. What would it take for your sister to convince you that she was actually, like, the daughter of God? Maybe you don't have any siblings. What would it take for your best friend to convince you that he or she was actually the son of of God. Now, as I've been preparing for this message over the last couple of weeks, over the last month, I really tried to actually process that question. Okay, like what would it actually take for my siblings to convince me that, that one of them was actually the son of God? And so to kind of get you in, in my mind and my, where my head space was at, I brought a picture actually of my siblings. Uh, what this picture also shows you is that we are terrible about taking pictures with one another uh, because this picture was like two years ago at my brother's wedding. Like we, I could This like literally the most recent photo that I could find, and it's not even just the four of us. There's some extra people who I will explain. Uh, this right here is my older brother, uh, Trevor. This is my younger sister, Brielle. This is my younger brother, Landon, and then his bride, Lauren, and then Lauren's sister, and then, yep, the dweeb over here on the right side. That would be yours truly. Now, I, I might be a little bit biased, but I think I have some pretty great siblings. In fact, what I've kind of found out as, as we've gotten older is that we're a bit of an anomaly as a family and that we all really get along. We, we all actually really do like each other. Uh, in fact, one of the traditions that uh, we have, basically not every Sunday, but most Sundays, I would say about 40 out of 52 Sundays a year, uh, myself and my wife and, and my siblings and their spouses and my parents, we all get together on Sunday afternoons at like two o'clock to like eight o'clock and we just hang out, like, for hours at a time. And it's not because anybody forced us to do that. It's just because we actually enjoy being around each other. These three people that you see there in that picture are among my closest friends, my closest confidants uh, on the entire face of the earth. And, and all my siblings, and again, maybe it's going to seem like I'm bragging on my family, but all my siblings are doing pretty well for themselves. They're, they're all doing pretty great things in their lives. My older brother Trevor is a very successful medical device rep. Uh, he's basically been doing that since the day that he graduated from college. He has a beautiful bride that just had their four child a beautiful baby girl named Brooklyn uh, awesome family he's the kind of guy that is just like you meet him and he's absolutely hilarious and, and you just kind of want to hear him talk even more uh, my younger brother Landon he's one of the soft spoken one of the family he serves here on our security team again Mary Lauren, who works at the University of Michigan he uh, works also in the medical field as well and again the kind of guy you meet and you just want to talk to him even more now my younger sister she is like the energy in the family now a lot of you would think aren't you the energy no she takes it actually to another Level. Uh, Brielle just got married actually this past July, so recently uh, married. She works at a place you've probably heard of before called Lululemon, uh, where you can take out a second mortgage and and go buy some clothing. That's great. She's also really, really into fitness and the CrossFit and does personal training, all that. And I I just tell you all that to say again, like all my siblings are are doing pretty well. They've all done pretty great things with their lives. Uh, But I think probably the thing that, that would make my parents most proud is that all four of their children have a growing relationship with Jesus. We're, we're, we're all trying to grow closer and closer to Jesus. They're nice, they're kind, they're loving people. Now, I'll stop bragging about my family here. Despite all that, d- despite all that they have accomplished, e- even though they love Jesus, Even though they're taking active steps in their lives to avoid sinning and by all accounts are living pretty honorable lives, if any one of them, you can pick any three of them, you can pick Landon or or, or Brielle or Trevor, if any one of them, and let's just say for the sake of an example, Trevor came to me and he's like, hey, I want to have a serious conversation with you. And I was like, okay. And I can just tell, okay, I know my brother, like he's being serious. He's like, okay, this is going to sound a little bit hard to believe, but you're just going to have to trust me here. Here it goes. I am the son of God. I would sit there much like you're sitting right now. I would sit in silence and be like waiting for the punchline. And and then as he like became clear that he was being serious, that he's like, no, 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 you don't understand. I'm actually the son of God. I, I would in that moment think that he had completely lost his mind. In that moment, there's nothing he could say. There's nothing that he could do to somehow convince me that he was actually the son of God. I just wouldn't buy it. And again, it's not because he's necessarily done something wrong. It's not because he's a terrible person. It's just because that's an absurd thing to say, right? Right? That, that, that would be a preposterous thing to claim, and, and my guess is, is I'm not alone in this, that if any of you have siblings, and again, your sibling literally tried to convince you that they were actually the son of God, that you wouldn't buy it either. You would come to the exact same conclusion that there is nothing that my brother could say or do to convince me that he is actually the son of God. Now, no matter where you find yourself today on this this whole faith journey, some of you have been at this church thing for basically your entire life. You could do it in your sleep. Uh, Others of you, you, you stepped into Grumlaw's doors a couple of months ago, maybe a year ago, and God's been doing some pretty great things in your life, and you've basically been on this spiritual high ever since. Some of you, you're back after stepping away from church for a pretty significant period of time and now you're starting to explore again. As we mentioned earlier, some of you, this is literally your first time walking through these doors. Some of you, and you don't have to admit to this, you basically got bribed or forced into showing up here today. And you frankly cannot wait for this entire thing to wrap up and me to just dismiss you and you can get out of you, it's okay, it doesn't hurt my feelings, I know you are out there. But no matter where you find yourself today uh, on this whole faith journey, I guarantee that every single one of you, you have heard of Jesus. And chances are, the vast majority of you, like 99.9% of you, you've probably even heard of Jesus' parents, Mary and Joseph. But, but a lot of you perhaps did not know that Jesus did indeed have siblings. We know for certain that Jesus had four brothers, James, Joseph, Simon, and Judas. And, and from everything that we can gather from Scripture and other historical evidence, uh, it would suggest that Jesus actually had sisters as well. Now, obviously, these weren't full brothers and sisters, given the fact that Jesus' heavenly Father was literally God. I mean, that was his dad, like our creator, earthly mother being Mary. And then he obviously had an earthly father named Joseph as well. So they're kind of half brothers and sisters that came from the marriage of Mary and Joseph, but brothers and sisters nonetheless. Now, I want to park on that idea here for for just a second. And perhaps that video that played right before I jumped up here already got your wheels turning. Um, But can you imagine living in a home where Jesus, like, Jesus was your older brother. Some of you can speak directly to the idea of kind of living underneath the shadow of a sibling that constantly seems to be a step ahead of you, that the constantly growing up was just getting a little bit better grades, it was constantly doing a little bit better in athletics, that always seemed one or two, or maybe for some of you, a lot of steps ahead of you. I've thought about this before as it relates to famous people, uh, people that just have a lot of notoriety and how hard it would be, I think, at times to be the siblings of these people that had so much fame. Uh, As a kind of exercise here, have any of you ever heard of, by a show of hands, uh, Alfred King? Anybody ever heard of Alfred King? Okay, I, I didn't expect any hands would go up. How about Willie King? Willie King? Nobody's ever heard of Willie King? Okay, let's try this one. I bet more hands will go up for this. How many of you have heard of Martin Luther King Jr., by a show of hands? If you don't have your hand up, Welcome to earth, okay? Uh, you can put your hands back down. Yeah, Willie and, and Alfred are Martin Luther King Jr.'s siblings, but again, n- nobody's really heard of them. Let, let's try another one. Uh, Nancy Brady. Anybody heard of Nancy Brady? Julie Brady? How about Maureen Brady? Okay, how about this one? Tom Brady. Anybody heard of Tom Brady by a show of hands? Again, you are liars. You have all heard of Tom Brady. Even those of you that don't really follow sports, surely you have heard of multi Super Bowl winning Michigan quarterback, Tom Brady. And we could go on and on and on with famous people, Nancy and Julie and Maureen, the sisters of Tom Brady. I think in a lot of ways, it would be kind of rough living under your sibling's shadow for the majority of your life. Now, growing up with a famous athlete as a sibling or a civil rights leader as a sibling, or a movie star as a sibling. I think all of those things would present some challenges, but, but is it really anything compared to growing up with the son of God as your older brother? Nobody in the history of the world, and that is not an exaggeration, nobody in the history of the world has had a tougher act to follow than the siblings of Jesus. I mean, think about it practically speaking. You think Jesus got B's in school? I'm thinking not. I'm thinking he was probably a straight A student. You know, him and his siblings are walking home from school one day and one of his sisters kind of bummed out that she got a C plus. She's like, Jesus, what did you get? Well, never mind. I know exactly what you got. You got another stinking A. The first time that Judas got caught in a lie and Mary and Joseph are just looking at him like, he's thinking in his mind, he's like, I know you never went through this before with Jesus. Like, yeah, he doesn't lie apparently. The first time that James got caught cheating on a test at school and, and Mary and Joseph, they sit him down, they look at him, you're like, you know, Jesus has never done anything like this. And they're like, yeah, I would hope not. He's claiming literally to be the son of God. And how in the heck did Mary and Joseph even find a way to manage that? It would what constantly had to be this comparison game and making sure that you weren't holding your other children to the same standard that you were holding Jesus to. Now, don't get me wrong. I think that growing up with Jesus probably would have had its perks too, right? You're sitting around, you're watching a movie, and everybody's popcorn's running a little bit low, and boom, Jesus, just like the bulls, have miraculously filled themselves back up. You go to the lake as a family in early June, and the water's not really quite that warm. Everybody's like, oh, man, it's a little chilly. Jesus puts one foot in, and boom, it's like a perfect 85 degrees. The, the family dog suddenly passes away, and boom, Jesus raised the dog back to life. The family cat suddenly passes away, and boom, Jesus starts digging a hole. It definitely would have had its perks, but it would have been a tough act to follow. And, and, and on top of that, as you are growing older, as the brother, as the sister of Jesus, you're certainly beginning to wrestle with the question of, okay, is my brother actually, I mean, come on, is he actually the son of God? I mean, mom and dad, they seem pretty convinced. There's been a couple like prophets, these guys that, you know, seem to hold a lot of clout, that they seem pretty convinced. And then once Jesus began his earthly ministry, there were a whole lot more people that became pretty convinced. But come on, you grew up with Jesus. You, you, You had family dinners with Jesus. You went on family vacations with Jesus. Are you actually buying it? I mean, was he actually the son of God? And here is really what's at the heart of this entire series. Just like, come on, just like there is nothing that your brother could say or do to convince you that he is the son of God, Jesus' siblings, and specifically James, was not convinced This is so important. So you've been zoning out, bring it back in here. James did not believe his brother. He didn't believe. A remarkable young child, you bet. An overachiever, no doubt about it. A a fast learner, like literally the fastest learner that anybody had ever seen, yep, A miracle performer, yeah. A really gifted teacher that had this unique ability to draw these pretty significant, these pretty big crowds, you bet. But the son of God, no way. In the book of John, it's one of the four books that documents Jesus' birth, his life, his death, and his resurrection. In the seventh chapter, it says this. It said, for even his brothers did not believe in him. Just like you wouldn't have bought it. James didn't either. Even after all the miracles, even after all the impressive crowd sizes, he still didn't buy it. James was not one of those 12 guys, nor were any of his brothers among those 12 guys that spent every waking moment with Jesus that were called the disciples, that spent all that time with Jesus during his earthly ministry. Don't think less of him. You would have done or not done the exact same thing. In fact, even throughout the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, we call them the Gospels of the Good News because we think it's good news that this stuff was recorded for us about Jesus. Throughout the Gospels, we actually get all of these hints and these suggestions that perhaps uh, his siblings were actually kind of regularly trying to talk him off the ledge, That, that they were pretty surprised that by this point in his life, he still had not let go of the whole Son of God thing. In Mark chapter 3, it says this one time Jesus entered a house and the crowds began to gather again. Soon he and his disciples couldn't even find time to eat. When his family heard what was happening, they tried to take him away. He's out of his mind, they said. That they assumed, in fact, what you and I would have assumed. That Jesus had lost it. They had completely lost his mind. I have a good friend whose son is like early elementary uh, age and and he is uh, obsessed with Spider-Man. He just loves Spider-Man so much so that he wears a Spider-Man costume, especially in the summer, basically everywhere. Uh, I actually understand it. That they have a, multiple Spider-Man costumes and they're constantly washing these costumes because he just won't take the costume off. Even when he sits down to eat dinner, he just like barely pulls it above his mouth, takes a bite, and then puts it back down so he doesn't blow, you know, his alter ego here, right? Like that he is Spider-Man. And, and guess what? He, he's young enough that at this point, it's pretty funny, You watch him, you know, running around and shooting imaginary webs and everything and acting like Spider-Man and jumping on furniture. It's like, oh, that is so funny. But fast forward with me to once he's like 30 years old, if he's still keeping up with the Spider-Man deal, like people are going to be like, okay, we we need to start having some hard conversations. We're going to have to start asking some pretty difficult questions. And this is exactly what was going on with Jesus's siblings. The charade was getting old that they couldn't believe that he hadn't let it go yet. I mean, it was one thing when he was younger and he's talking about the whole son of God thing, but now he's a grown man and he won't shut up about it, actually. He's going around telling everybody that he is literally the son of God. But I want you to fast forward with me to the year AD 62, AD 62. Anybody know what happened in in the year by chance uh, of AD 62? I I wouldn't think so, and so I will tell you. In AD 62, a guy by the name of Ananis was appointed the Jewish high priest, and surely intimidated by so many different people converting to this new movement called The Way, the movement that we would now refer to as Christianity, and specifically, so intimidated that there were so many Jewish people that were converting to this new movement, that so many Jewish people that were converting to Christianity in an effort to stifle this movement. In an effort, in fact, to to halt this movement in its tracks, he has a certain someone executed. He has a certain person stoned to death that just will not shut up about Jesus. A, A guy who is on the front lines spreading the name of Jesus with the passion and zeal that can only come from an individual that is 100% convinced of his beliefs. A person, in fact, that is so sure of his beliefs that he is willing to die for them. Anybody want to take a stab at, at who this guy was? James, you guys are all so smart. James, absolutely James. As in Jesus' unbelieving brother, James. As in my brother, Jesus, has completely lost his mind, James. So <laughs> i got to ask, what What happened? Seriously, what the heck happened? What takes a person from eye rolling, skeptical, just give it up, he's out of his mind, there ain't no way my brother is the Son of God, to suddenly willing to die for his faith in his brother? What happened? And, and I will tell you. And this would forever change the world and would, in fact, change the course of history. James saw. James saw his risen Savior, who just so happened to be his brother. Six words recorded for us in Paul's letter to the early church in Corinth. It changed the course of James' life and subsequently changed his eternity. It says, then Jesus was seen by James. James laid eyes on his risen brother. James was now standing face to face with his risen Savior. That The same brother who just days earlier he saw killed and nailed to a cross was now standing right in front of him. There is nothing, there is nothing that my brother could say or do to convince me that He is the Son of God. And James undoubtedly thought the exact same thing. But as it turns out, James was wrong. There was something that Jesus could do to convince him that he was the Son of God, but and you can't hold this against him, he just hadn't accounted for it, because it was so implausible, it was so ridiculous that it didn't really warrant any consideration. But but as it turns out, when your brother predicts his own death, and your brother predicts his own resurrection, and then you see your risen brother, you believe. And perhaps you're sitting here today, and, and you have been skeptical of this whole Christianity thing. It, it seems like a fairy tale. It seems like something that is just way too good to be true. It's just this thing that's been kind of duping emotionally unsound people for thousands of years. I'm not telling you this morning that you ought to consider Jesus because the Bible says so. I'm not telling you that you ought to consider Jesus because your spouse says so or because that Facebook post says so. I'm telling you that you would be wise to consider Jesus because mounds of historical discoveries and undeniable evidence proves to us that James, the brother of Jesus, was willing to die and would eventually be killed for his faith in his brother. And history tells us, not the Bible, history tells us that most commonly speaking, people are unwilling to die for a lie, especially when you start out as a full-blown skeptic. So something must have happened. Something must have happened to take James from rolling his eyes brother to willing to die for his faith in his brother. And believe it or not, as implausible as it perhaps sounded to you to this point, the most reasonable explanation is that Jesus must have risen from the dead. It it took something supernatural. It it took something that James had not accounted for. It took something that James didn't even consider to be a possibility. And so over these next five weeks, we're going to jump into a letter It was written by James, the now suddenly believing brother of Jesus. It's a letter that I think all of us, no matter where you find yourself on this whole faith journey, ought to take the words of seriously because of what we see in James' life. From skeptical brother to willing to die believer. If you've never picked up a Bible and actually read that thing for yourself, uh, this would be a great, great place for you to start, to start reading and plowing through the letter of James. It's only five chapters long. Every single week in the back, we have free Bibles back there. There are a few things that get me more excited than when I'm told that we had to order more of them because so many of you are taking them. I'd also recommend downloading uh, the YouVersion Bible app. It has all these awesome Bible reading plans on there. If, if you're a Jesus follower and you don't have this thing on your phone, they have for Android devices, for iPhone, uh, I can't really begin to wrap my head around that. So download this YouVersion app and just begin to read through the book of James. But as we wrap up this conversation this morning, I, I want to draw our attention to some of the very words of James the now believing brother of Jesus that tie in so well to what we've been discussing so far this morning. In his first chapter of his letter, he says, but don't just listen to God's word. You must do what it says. Otherwise, you are only fooling yourselves. Th- th- this is something that we've really tried to stand by since day one here at Grumlaw. That that our desire would be a church. When we say church, we're not talking about a building. We're talking about a community of people. That that we would be a community, that we would be an assembly, a congregation of people that are marked by our actions, that are marked by our doing, not just our listening. That that we would be a church that, that is so known in this community because of how we do, because how we jump to action, that even the people that will never walk through our doors on a Sunday morning still like Grumlaw. Because the good that they see us doing in this community is undeniable. You're not doing God a favor by simply just showing up and sitting and listening to this every single week. You're not doing God a favor by reading your Bible, but then nothing actually changes in your life. You're not doing God any favors by listening to that podcast and nodding in agreement, but then again, there's no tangible change in your life. James, as we're going to see here in just a second, has some very poignant words for this type of faith. This type of faith doesn't really do anything for for anyone, and it seems like it's something that particularly frustrated James and apparently has been an issue for people since the beginning of time because of how often James continues to revisit this theme throughout his relatively short five-chapter letter. In the second chapter, he comes back to it. He says, what good is it, dear brothers and sisters, if you say you have faith, but you don't show it by your actions? Can that kind of faith save anyone? And he's not actually looking for a response, right? That this is a rhetorical question. He's saying that kind of faith, as you all know, is not good for anyone. Whether you're talking about faith in Jesus or whether you're talking about faith in anything else, for that matter. Let's say that I had a friend, for example, that had lost all kinds of weight over a couple months, and I was just like, kind of blown away by the transformation that I saw physically happening before my eyes. And I was finally like, okay, hey, what are you doing different? Like, like, what are you eating different? And they went on to rant and rave about the Atkins diet and how the Atkins diet is just an incredible diet that allows you to lose weight. But near the end of the conversation, they put in this like little disclaimer, this little clause that they actually haven't been using the Atkins diet, that they've been on the keto diet. I'd be like, wait, what? Why did you just tell me for 30 minutes about the Atkins diet? I want to hear more about the keto diet because that's what's, you know, making the transformation happen in your life. And They looked at me and they said, no, 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 I I don't really like talking about the keto diet. I I like talking about the Atkins diet. I I would look at them and just be like, have you lost your mind? No, I don't want to hear about that. I want to hear about the thing that is causing the transformation in you. Let's say a friend of mine said they really believe, trust, have faith in, synonymous terms, in, in their spouse. But then I came to find out that every single night... That person went and picked up their spouse's phone and and read through every text message for the day and looked at all of their browsing history for the day. All the convincing in the world after finding that out would not lead me to believe that they actually trust their spouse. You get the idea. James actually gives us an example as well. He says, suppose you see a brother or sister who has no food or clothing and you say goodbye and have a good day. Stay warm and eat well but then you don't give that person any food or clothing. What good does that do? Christian or not, are are any of you impressed by this type of faith? Of of course not. So you see, he continues, faith by itself isn't enough. Unless it produces good deeds, it is, James' words, very direct words, dead and useless. I want y'all to make sure that you hear me loud and clear this morning. We are saved from our sin. We we are saved from our sinful lives by faith alone. God made the standard so simple that he said that the the way that you get a right standing with me, the way that you are declared righteous is by faith alone, by putting your trust, your faith, your belief in Jesus. And, And James understood that point arguably better than anyone But the evidence of your faith, the evidence of your belief, the evidence of your trust is demonstrated in the way that you live. Let me talk for just a second to all the Jesus followers in the room, that all of you that would raise your hand and say, yes, I follow Jesus. Do your actions paint an accurate picture of your faith? Does your believing match up with your doing? Your actions, your good deeds, make no mistake about it, do not buy you a ticket to heaven. Some of you, you need to hear this. God does not like you any more when you succeed and any less when you fail. But James, the brother of Jesus, is posing a simple yet a profound thought. He's saying, how can you possibly say that you believe if your actions do not change in accordance with your beliefs? And again, you guys, this isn't even a unique idea to Christianity. This this is something that pertains to all types of belief. You're not buying somebody's words unless their actions back up those words. And was there anybody, think about it, was there anybody arguably in the history of the world that understood this principle better than James? Despite Jesus' words, despite all the miracles, Despite his ability to draw these massive crowds, James still didn't buy it. But then Jesus backed all of it up when he rose from the grave, when he conquered death. That single action backed up everything that Jesus had spoken about. James would later demonstrate that he really did believe in his brother He he was 100% convinced that his brother was actually the son of God. And and you know what I'm pretty sure of? People doubted it. People had to have been saying behind his back, oh my gosh, he's just buying into the family business. He's just touting the company line. He's just another snake oil salesman that is trying to dupe people. But then James, he died for his faith in his brother. He would go on to die for his faith in his Savior. His actions very much backed it up. I think it's, it's a significant reason. I think it's maybe for you, some of you that are sitting here, the reason that you ought to consider Jesus. And it's why we would challenge you and invite you to keep coming back for this entire series. Consider making this a part of your weekly rhythm. And as crazy as it maybe sounds to you, See what God maybe has in store for your life over these next four, over these next five weeks as we continue to dive into the words of James, the now suddenly-believing brother of Jesus.